Hey, podcast listeners, want some news you can use? Stop by the 10 News Studio and join hosts Ryan Willard and Pamela Kirkland every Wednesday. The 10 News team covers everything from Ukraine and the Supreme Court to Minecraft and Pokemon, all in a bite-sized podcast for kids and their adults. Awesome guests like Lego Masters Judge Amy Corbett, Dr. Anthony Fauci, and the voice of Pokemon's Ash Ketchum are guaranteed to swing by. Make the 10 News part of your family routine, just like us, to connect, explore, and learn something new. Listen to the 10 News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Children's Book Podcast. I'm Matthew. I'm a teacher, a librarian, and a fan of kids. And today we are talking about history. In fact, this might be a part of American history that you haven't learned about yet. Believe it or not, I don't remember learning about it until I was in my 20s. This is a part of American history that I was never taught. Before we get started, remember that you can shop for any of the books you hear on this podcast while at the same time supporting independent bookstores. Just head to matthewcwinner.com and click on Bookshop. You can also support the show and buy me a coffee. And, of course, we love seeing those five-star reviews come in for the show. Like this one, quote, I just found this podcast and I love it. Matthew does a great job of getting his guests to talk and ask great questions. And I've only listened to a few so far, but it's been extremely interesting and informative, end quote. <laughs> nice. I love that. Our guests today are Elizabeth Partridge and Lauren Tamaki, author and illustrator of Seen and Unseen, what Dorothea Lang, Toyo Miyataki, and Ansel Adams's photographs reveal about the Japanese-American incarceration. Elizabeth Partridge is the acclaimed author of more than a dozen books for young readers, including biographies of Dorothea Lange, Woody Guthrie, and John Lennon. The goddaughter of Dorothea Lange, Elizabeth grew up surrounded by Dorothea's photographs. She always knew her godmother wanted to bear witness to important and difficult times in American history with her camera. Dorothea's photograph of Terrazzo Sakawe carrying his young grandson on his shoulders down a dusty Manzanar street inspired Elizabeth to begin writing this book, which seeks to illuminate the stories behind the photos. Lauren Tamaki is a Canadian illustrator living in New York. Having grown up in Calgary as a fourth-generation Japanese-Canadian, Lauren was inspired by this project to learn more about her grandparents, who both had experiences with incarceration camps in British Columbia. Through her research, she discovered that her grandfather used his law degree to fight for the rights of incarcerated Japanese-Canadians after they were released. Connecting with her family's history was a source of pride for Lauren, as she brought the experiences of incarcerated people to life in the pages of this book. Seen and Unseen What Dorothea Lang, Toyo Miyatake, and Ansel Adams's photographs reveal about the Japanese American incarceration by Elizabeth Partridge and Lauren Tamaki. This important work of nonfiction features powerful images of the Japanese American incarceration captured by three photographers Dorothea Lang, Toyo Miyatake, and Ansel Adams, along with first hand accounts of this grave moment in history. Three months after Japan attacked Pearl Harbor in 1941, 
U.S. President Franklin D. Roosevelt ordered the incarceration of all Japanese and Japanese Americans living on the west coast of the United States. Families, teachers, farm workers, all were ordered to leave behind their homes, their businesses, and everything they owned. Japanese and Japanese Americans were forced to live under hostile conditions in incarceration camps, their futures uncertain. Three photographers set out to document life at Manzanar, an incarceration camp in the California desert. Dorothea Lang was a photographer from San Francisco best known for her haunting Depression-era images. Dorothea was hired by the U.S. government to record the conditions of the camps. Deeply critical of the policy, she wanted her photographs to shed light on the harsh reality of incarceration. Toyo Miyatake was a Japanese-born, Los Angeles-based photographer who lent his artistic eye to portraying dancers, athletes, and events in the Japanese community. Imprisoned at Manzanar, he devised a way to smuggle in photographic equipment determined to show what was really going on inside the barbed wire confines of the camp. Ansel Adams was an acclaimed landscape photographer and environmentalist. Hired by the director of Manzanar, Ansel hoped his carefully curated pictures would demonstrate to the rest of the United States the resilience of those in the camps. In Seen and Unseen, Elizabeth Partridge and Lauren Tamaki weave together these photographers' images, first-hand accounts, and stunning original art to examine the history, heartbreak, and injustice of the Japanese-American incarceration. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Partridge. I'm the author of Seen and Unseen, what Dorothea Lang, Toyo Miyatake, and Ansel Adams' photographs reveal about the Japanese-American incarceration. I love to write nonfiction for both kids and adults, and I especially love a topic that's not too well known so I can shed some light on it. Hi, my name is Lauren Tamaki. I'm an illustrator and designer, a Canadian living in New York. Uh, I do mostly editorial illustration up until uh, a few years ago, and I am the illustrator of Seen and Unseen, what Dorothea Lang, Toyo Miyataki, and Ansel Adams' photographs reveal about the Japanese-American incarceration. Listeners, we're going to take our time on this one today, because I know that many of you might be hearing about this for the first time. That's how history works. We learn things for the first time, and with any luck, we remember them, and we think about how that history is connected to what our world looks like today. I was not taught about the Japanese-American incarceration in school, not that I can remember, and it was not something my parents taught me about either, though I honestly cannot remember even asking them about it. I have no memory of when I first heard about the Japanese-American incarceration, because I was born like six years after World War II ended, and so it was still um, kind of a little bit in the air for those who cared to know about it. And of course, my godmother had photographed the incarceration, so there were photographs up on the wall of her living room that she had taken. Uh, doing the job of photographing. But the emotional moment it hit me was not until fifth grade. Um, there was a kid in my class named Paul Yanamura who said in front of the whole class, 
that his family had not been allowed to buy a house in our neighborhood after the war because they were Japanese American. And I was absolutely shocked. I, that's when it totally hit me that something really bad had happened in our country that I did not understand. So I am Canadian. I'm Japanese Canadian. My dad is Japanese. My grandfather was born in Canada, actually. So many, you know, few generations Canadian. And the same thing happened in Canada that happened in the U.S. with the incarceration during the war. And I had known about it very peripherally. It wasn't anything that was talked about. I didn't know my grandparents' involvement until working on this book, uh, how how their families were involved. And it it was just something that, oh, we left, we got over it, we left it behind. Look how successful we are. We don't have to talk about it. Obviously wasn't a big topic in school. I don't even remember if we talked about it. I took social studies, like AP. I did all these kind of like advanced placement classes and I never, I don't ever remember having any real engagement with it. And uh, my biggest education has been working on this book and visiting Manzanar. So it, it is, uh, this has been my biggest discovery about the incarceration, both in, in mostly in, in the US. The, the, the Canadian one had its own kind of ins and outs, but um, yeah, it, it only until very recently did I really know the, the whole story. Making books is something a little bit like magic. The author has an idea, a story they want to share, but finding just the right way to share that story can lead you down really unexpected paths. Listeners, has this ever happened to you? Have you ever had a great idea for a game or a story or a thing to do with your friends, but when you got to making it, the process and the end result were different than the way you first pictured it? And, I mean, different like better different. The way this book as a whole impacted me when reading it was something I struggled to put into words. Here, listen for yourself. This is one of those books that I feel like... Did Lauren design something that if I took out all the pages and spread them all out, it'd be like when I I was 10 and I was collecting X-Men cards, and if you put them all together in one of those uh, card books playing card books they actually all connected the art all connected in one giant sheet it felt like that here it felt like you your art in in by design was trying to help us see a whole picture not glimpses of but rather all of this connects let's carry color over let's carry this over it just feels woven together and it's it's really exceptionally done and the restraint you pointed out that elizabeth used in that text felt absolutely intentional as well. I'm not going to tell you how to feel about this. I'm going to present the evidence in front of you and you're going to decide because I respect you as a reader. That, Elizabeth, is where I'm saying that I see you talking up to your readers, you you respecting them and holding that space Um, because you talk about some some really hard stuff in this book and some really hard truths and it's, it's all there for us to for, for us to investigate and, and, and linger on as long as we'd like. One of the amazing things about this book was that I came to the editor with an idea, like I want to write a text and I have these photos, but 
but they don't tell the whole picture, the whole story. So we need an illustrator who can fill in what's missing. So that was my idea. The illustrator will fill this in. And then we got the amazement of what Lauren was able to bring to the project, which is <laughs> Lauren started saying like, yeah, okay, here's all this stuff that's missing from your images and your words. And as you said, Matthew, it started to all weave together, but it did something else, which is there is an emotionality in that, in all of Lauren's sketches that just absolutely drives the narrative through this book. You know, it's like the, the two of us got to work together in a collaboration that's almost never allowed in doing a book together, which is usually the writer writes their bit and then they pull out and then the illustrator gets to work. But it was, there was too many overlaps. I mean, I had the photos and then Lauren had these ideas. And then she was like, well, if you could do this photo, I could do this illustration. I'm like, oh, that's a fantastic idea. Let's swap photos. So we just really shifted things around and it ended up letting both of us go so much deeper than we would have individually. Yeah, completely. And Ariel uh, Richardson, our editor, it's, you, you know, it was, your and her baby from the start, the, this book, right? Like you had come to her and um, our fabulous editor at Chronicle. And and she she always told me, she's like, and I kind of in our other conversations about books, she's like, I never want to talk down to readers. And I, and I love the way that you're saying, oh, how, how clear it is. And, and yes, maybe some of these concepts are, will take an extra second for anybody to really wrap their head around, let alone kids. But it's, it's definitely the books that I enjoyed when I was young. I loved, you know, things that I couldn't, maybe I could just touch the edges of, of, of that concept. And then I could make, and then I could grow with it and evolve with it. And then finally, and then when I actually got it one day, I was like, wow, uh, you know, I, I, I loved those kind of books. And so I said it before, but this, experience having this collaboration with Elizabeth just completely ruined me for <laughs> probably my future collaborations because it, it apparently was so unusual how much we were able to share and how permeable this you know our, our kind of membranes <laughs> were and and the kind of back and forth it was it was exceptional and and being able to have such with her this co-ownership uh, it made me push myself further and further and and you know I designed this book essentially with the help of Lydia Ortiz and because when we we're going through it when we're okay here's the photo here's the text here's the illustrations of course then it was just being designed as I was illustrating it because there is no other way to go about it and so your comment about how if you could separate it and look at it as a whole like I did that's all I did I would like zoom out okay, how did all this, you know, in my InDesign file, zoom out, okay, how does that look? And I think that was like my graphic design training. I mean, I, I use all of my little tools in my tool belt. I think I use every single one and even fashioned new tools to use <laughs> for this for this experience. And, and so it was just so special. It was an incredible experience. You're listening to the Children's Book Podcast.
Dorothea Lang, famed photographer of the Great Depression, was Elizabeth Partridge's godmother, and growing up around Dorothea had a profound impact on Elizabeth. My my dad decided to be a photographer when he was like 16 or 17 years old. He was growing up in a photography family, and then he was actually um, able to apprentice first with Ansel Adams and then with Dorothea Lang. And because these were all family friends for him. And so the one he really connected with was Dorothea. And she lived um, on in North Berkeley and we lived on the south side of Berkeley. So as we children were growing up, we were considered her godchildren um, because we did all our Christmases with them and Fourth of July. And, you know, that was family as I knew it. And so a lot of how Dorothea and her husband, Paul, they had a tremendous social consciousness. I mean, that was just what they were doing. Dorothea Lang's responsible for taking the photograph of the migrant mother during the Great Depression. So that's a very well-known photograph of a mother holding a baby and then with some other children around her, unable to care for her children. So I grew up with that whole milieu. So when um, Ariel asked me if I wanted to do a book on Dorothea, I was like, nah, I've already done a book on her. Well, but there's one set of photographs that I would love to explore more. And that was her incarceration photos. So that's where it started. And then it got, I also knew that Dorothea didn't approve of Ansel's photos of the incarceration. So yeah, so I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And then luckily, as I was doing the research, quickly I discovered Toyo Miyataki's photos. And then I was like, oh my gosh, what an amazing array of photos available to us to put together in a book. All of those amazing photos kicked off an exhaustive and inspiring research process for Lauren. I can't put pen to paper, pencil to paper, anything without researching it so thoroughly until I'm satisfied that I have a grasp of the subject, both, I mean, most of the times with editorial, it's a visual grasp, but for this particular book, it was also that historical grasp when it came to Dorothea, when it came to Toyo, um, when it came to people's individual experiences, which I read about, I, I tried to get my hands on every single piece of media that I could find. I took out all the books from the Brooklyn Public Library um, about the subject. I would watch documentaries even about Toyo Miyataki before um, and his pictorial photography. It just, it was so important for me to have that shorthand because then I could have that flow when I illustrated. I could, I didn't have to stop and think, oh, well, what, what was their hair like? Or I didn't have to stop and think, oh, what, what would their suitcases look like? Because I had this just massive inventory of images to to reference and then also the the great gifts that research always gives you is, is more ideas and more ideas and and even these little these little nuggets that i would find um like uh at tanferan when they were waiting to be transferred to manzanar there was just just this little tiny sentence in this book i was reading called impounded about dorothea lang and they were talking about how people had fly catching contests just because they're bored. They wanted something to do. And so I was like, wouldn't that just be just a little image to communicate to a kid, to communicate to anybody, to, to, to put them there? Because you can talk in these grand, 
kind of monolithic ways about an experience and about a people. But when you personalize it, it that's when you can touch people. <laughs> you can you can you can grab them and be like, oh, okay. Well, what do I do when I'm bored? What do I do when I pass to, to pass the time? And and yeah, so. So research, I mean, I, I taught for a very brief period and the kids were so sick of me talking about research and so sick of me demanding research, but I really don't, I don't know any other way of working, honestly. Seen and Unseen is over 100 pages long and reading it absolutely flew by to me with words and photos and illustrations all blending together. But here are some moments that stick out to Lauren and to Elizabeth when they share the book with readers. What I think people find kind of interesting is the page where we see the environment that the Miyatakis lived in. So that's page 52 and uh, their, their little space that they carved out for themselves. And so that image, I didn't make any of that up, that was from an image actually by Ansel Adams where the Miyatakis were sitting together um, in their living room and they're probably their only room, <laughs> you know, in, in, in the barrack. And I took them out so I could focus on the actual, the way they decorated their space, the way they tried to make it homey, the way they, t- they had, oh, uh, look at all these. Uh, and I noticed when I took them out of the photo, when I, when I wanted to render that image, oh, they have, so they have a map on the wall. They have maybe these, you know, drawings, they have books of encyclopedias, they have fashion magazines. And that was just another way for me to, again, try and just situate the reader in an environment and, uh, and, and, and to humanize and personalize people and this family in particular. I want to just add something about that spread of Lawrence that struck me right in the heart. Underneath that wonderful picture of how the Miyatakis lived is a row of shoes. And I'm telling you, this will practically make me cry because Lauren thought to draw everybody's shoes. And I love the reference to in a Japanese American household or Japanese Canadian or Japanese, take off your shoes before you go in the door. You don't want to bring all that dirt from outside inside. And The poignancy of the empty shoes for me was like, but they no longer have a home to take their shoes off to go into. Their real home is no longer there. And I just would like to say that never in a million years, I as a white writer would have thought of that as an illustration. So I just love that that was so much a part of Lauren that ding, 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 there was the whole family's shoes. So love that. Um, The page that spread that really talked to me was this one, uh, page 48, where Dorothea's trying to do her photography because I was trying to bring that into the book as well. Whatever she photographed, Dorothea put layers of meaning in the image. A simple looking photograph of a grandfather and a grandson seems to ask a question. Why had the United States government locked up a very old man and a toddler? How were they a threat to our national security? And at the bottom of the page, there's a beautiful image of Dorothea with her camera. Then underneath that, 
All Dorothea could do was hope her photographs carried a strong message. This is what we did, she said. How did it happen? How could we? Working on this book changed Lauren, and it's something she reflected on throughout our conversation. She shared this one more thought that I wanted to make sure reached you before we close our time together. Working on this book was the beginning of me starting to discover my identity again, yet again, as, as a Japanese Canadian. I think as part of the diaspora, uh, you always have to continually rediscover or discover different parts of of yourself because we live in this very, you know, a country where people are coming in, you know, immigrants and 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 other and and it it. It has really helped me in a way I never thought it could working on this book to to even open those channels of conversation with my own family and having my dad tell me, I, re- I read this book, I read the whole thing. And, and you know, I'm going to when I see him next in person, I'm going to sit him down and tell me, well, what, what did you think? And tell me everything you felt. And and to even have my my aunt involved, she wrote the calligraphy on one of the pages that says Tamaki. <laughs> Um, the page where they talk about, you know, the man is turning his, his back on, not turning his back, but, you know, doing a batai and he has a has a, the closet full of kimono. And it's just that kind of bringing, there was so much of myself in this, in this book. And just it, so, so I guess, you know, I'm 39 now, going to be 40 this year. And it's never too late to, to discover parts of yourself, like these big parts of yourself. Listeners, thank you for spending this time with us today. I hope you walk away learning something new about American history and about the Japanese-American incarceration. And I hope that you feel encouraged to ask questions about history. There are things you don't yet know or understand, and those questions will bring you closer to making meaningful connections between then and now, including the specific ways your family and extended family may have been affected. As I prepare to head back to my library full of children, I hope that you will remember these special messages from Elizabeth Partridge and Lauren Tamaki. When the three photographers were doing these photographs, it was very expensive to make a photograph and print it up as a photograph that other people could see. And now today... Everybody has a cell phone and there's a camera in the cell phone. So we have a very powerful tool for social justice in our back pocket. And I just want to encourage people, when you see something that just doesn't feel right, you can bear witness to that by taking a photograph. If you see a bunch of garbage in the gutter and you think that's not right, you can take a photograph and send that to your mayor and say, Mayor, look how dirty this street is. I mean, there are all kinds of ways you can use a camera for more than just your friends and family. So I just want to have people open your mind to the idea that you've got this great tool that's absolutely available to you at every moment. Something I wish somebody had told me and that I actually believed when I was young was that you can't let fear make the decisions for you. And it's something that 
I struggle with even up to this day, but having released myself from a lot of that, I can see it for what it was, which was it just holding myself back, letting other people and their opinions control me. And I just, because I'm sure I, I got the message of some, I, you know, you had all these inspirational messages when we were kids, you know, you, you be you and everybody, be, but it, it really, um, I wish I, I got in it to sink in earlier, but, but like, like I said earlier, it is, it's never too late <laughs> to learn these lessons. The Children's Book Podcast is written, edited, and produced by me, Matthew Winner. Follow the show wherever podcasts are found and leave us a rating or review when you do. That helps us out a whole lot because it helps the show get discovered by and recommended to new listeners. Elizabeth, Lauren, where can listeners find you? I'm on Instagram as elizabeth.partridge and I have a website, elizabethpartridge.com. So it's just a question of where the dot is. That's where I am. I'm very streamlined like Elizabeth. I, I am Lauren Tamaki on Instagram and laurentamaki.com. Visit matthewcwinner.com for a full transcript of this episode, plus some questions that you can use as you think about this episode. You can also reach out and let me know what information you've learned about the Japanese-American incarceration or what questions you still have. Write to me or send me a message at matthewmakespods at gmail.com. That's M-A-T-T-H-E-W-M-A-K-E-S-P-O-D-S at gmail.com. Want a copy of Seen and Unseen? Check your school or public library, your classroom, or if you want to support independent bookstores, you can purchase a copy at bookshop.org. I'll have a link in the show notes. Our podcast logo was created by Duke Stebbins. Our music is by Poddington Bear. Podcast hosting by Lipson. You can support the show and buy me a coffee at matthewcwinner.com. We're a proud member of Kids Listen, the best place to discover the best in kids' podcasts. Learn more at kidslisten.org. Fellow teachers and librarians want a way to explore building a stronger culture of reading in our communities? In the Reading Culture Podcast, Beanstack co-founder Jordan Bookie hosts conversations that dive into beloved authors' personal journeys and insights into motivating young people to read. And I'm a big fan. Their recent guests include Aaron Entrada Kelly, James Ponty, Ellen O, Grace Lynn, Adam Gidwitz, and Katie Camillo. Check out the Reading Culture Podcast with Jordan Bookie from Beanstack, available wherever podcasts are found. Be well and read on.